She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. Millennium, season one. Episode five. Five, two, two, six, six, six. This episode was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong and directed by David Nutter. Feels very X-Files there. It does. Whoa. Yeah. It was filmed on location in British Columbia, Canada, and it originally aired on Friday, November 22nd, 1996 at 9 p.m. That feels very X-Files, too. Yeah. (laughs) Whoa. Are we doing the right episode? (laughs) Oh, dear. In it, Frank Black and Peter Watts head to Washington, D.C. to work with an FBI task force that is trying to stop a serial bomber. The FBI in Washington, D.C.? That sounds like the (laughs) X-Files. Honestly, this whole setup. (laughs) So, speaking of which, we're in Washington, D.C., Wednesday, 11.46 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. In a busy nighttime spot, a man sits alone in a corner booth, nursing a single drink and smoking. He watches a particular server intently and then looks around at the other people as they flirt and laugh. Then, in a series of flashes, he sees and hears the people around him reacting as if they were caught in an explosion. They're all like, ah, ah, ah. And this repeats until a voice breaks through his flashes. It's the server that he'd been watching. And she asks if he knows when his party is going to arrive. They only do reservations for groups of four or more when it's busy. So he gets up and he leaves without saying anything. And then he walks to a payphone and he dials 911. The operator comes on and is like, can you please state your name? You know, because they want to know who they're talking to. And he dials 5226666 and he hangs up. Oh, weird. Weird. That's our title. There you go. Later, from a multi-level parking structure, the man smokes and he looks across the street at the Queen's Arms. And he looks at a countdown on his watch and he puts out what was apparently his fourth cigarette. There's already three butts on the ground near his feet. He looks at his watch again and it shows less than 20 seconds. And then he sees the flashes of people reacting to an explosion again. And then he opens his eyes and then he closes them like he's preparing for something. And then there's an actual explosion and the blast knocks him backwards. Then we see Seattle, Washington, Wednesday, 9.35 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And Frank Black leans back in bed and he changes the TV channel a couple of times. And then a live feed from the Embassy Road District in the nation's capital makes them stop and pay attention. The footage is of the aftermath of the explosion of the Queen's Arms, a location frequented by diplomats. It occurred at 12.10 a.m. local time. So 25 minutes ago. Frank goes to the closet and grabs a duffel bag. Catherine walks in and says, they haven't called you. And he says, they will. And he puts a pair of pants in the bag and then his beeper goes off. Catherine picks it up and the time on it says 2137. And the message simply reads 2000. Frank is watching the footage and Catherine comes over and the reporter says the current toll is 13 dead and 20 in critical condition. Catherine asks him how long he'll be away. And he says, until they're certain it won't happen again. And the camera focuses on a server who's bloody and crying. And there's a man crouched near and he calls for a medic. And we see that it's the man who was waiting for the explosion. (gasps) Oh. And we get the main titles and then we get an epigraph again. And this one is, I am responsible for everything. Dot, dot, dot. Except my very responsibility. And it's by Jean-Paul Sartre. The quote is actually, I am responsible for everything. In fact, except for my very responsibility, for I am not the founder of my being. So they actually didn't mess this one up, really. The ellipses kind of does the in fact part. Really, it should be in brackets, but that's become a modern thing. You don't have to put it in brackets. You can just put ellipses and we assume the words are missing. This is actually from Being and Nothingness, an essay on the phenomenological ontology from 1943. It's from part four, chapter one, three, which is on page 55 of the 1956 Philosophical Library version. And it is available from archive.org. Again, check your primary sources. So (laughs) 
So then we're at the Joint Task Force headquarters in Washington, D.C., and it's Thursday at 9.23 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, which means that it's 6.23 in Seattle, in case you're wondering. You're not, because you know how time zones work. Lori's <laughs> <laughs> just reminded herself. I'm just like, okay, so that would be 6 a.m. Anyway, Frank and Peter Watts are coming down a concrete stairwell, and they're wearing FBI visitor badges. And Peter says trace elements show it was a bomb, but beyond that, they've got nothing. And Frank asks which agencies are involved. And Peter says, you name them. FBI, ATF, DC Metro, no egos. They just want to get it done and solve the case. And Jack Pearson is heading the task force. So they go through a door that has a whiteboard on it that reads dead-eyed dicks only. Yes, means detectives only. I don't know exactly. Mm And inside is a full-on war room, basically. And there's a man, Jack Pearson, we assume, and he's walking through the room, basically telling everyone what we know. Mm-hmm. At 12.20 a.m., the Washington Post received the first call claiming responsibility for the bombing. The call was made from a payphone at 28th and Lincoln in the West District. Forensics is examining the booth. He plays a recording telling the agents of Zog to take heed. The Capitol has been designated as a kill zone as prophesized in the Turner Diaries. Abolish the IRS. The true Americans will resist. So that's like their first call claiming that they did the bombing. Yeah. I mean, kudos for like doing your homework and using the Turner Diaries as a reference. Cause, but oh my God, just nowadays, the Turner Diaries. Oh God. Anyway. Yeah. And they're taking it seriously. They're taking all of this stuff seriously, right? Like, so anyone who's caught taking credit, they're at least looking into it. And an agent says an intelligence report shows no indication of increased militia activity. And Frank is kind of like an English pub is an unlikely target. And then there's a murmur in the room. And Pearson says the next call is scarier. It was received 23 minutes after the incident. And it's someone doing a very bad, like Middle Eastern accent. Yeah. And it basically says like 10 after midnight, the ANO took its payment in lives for the oppression of its people and demands the withdrawal of support for the Zionists or whatever. So like, yeah, it's just supposed to be like a Middle Eastern terrorist group, I guess. And Peter says that that's NAO, the Abu Nadal organization. And Frank says there's a time discrepancy. And Pearson says that for the media, they established the event at 10 after midnight. But in reality, it occurred exactly at midnight. <gasps> There's also another murmur. I'm like, oh, who's this guy? Frank Black. He knows everything. I mean, probably, some of you probably know him. He used to work for the FBI. So, yeah. So did Peter Watts. Pearson says the next call was received 10 minutes prior to the explosion. It's a code similar to IRA bomb alerts that are used in England. And Pearson says those tones correspond to the numbers 522666. So Frank hears that. <laughs> Frank hears that and he walks over to a desk where there's like a desk phone so he can kind of look at what letters maybe correspond to the numbers. And Peter says the Queen's Arms was a hangout for British embassy employees. The State Department is getting background on the victims. And Frank is like looking at the numbers on the phone and on a notepad he writes 522666 and underneath that he translates the numbers into letters and writes kaboom. <gasps> alphanumeric yeah for you reboot fans gotcha yeah and pearson is played by sam anderson and i immediately recognized him as someone who plays a big villain and i kept thinking he was a villain in the x-files but i couldn't figure out when that had happened so i looked him up and he's not in the x-files he played holland manners and angel holland manners is one of the senior executive a-holes at wolfram and hart which is like the lawyer group that like sold its souls to the devil and is doing terrible things basically so he's one of the the big bads in that he was also bernard on lost with terry o'quinn so i did kind of recognize yeah. him from that as well and he's in an episode of leverage which whoa happy. you got another leverage um, one whoa he's got a ton of credits though he's been in like just an incredible amount of things so that's just kind of a few highlights but angel yeah. is where i recognize him from the well, most and John Hawks, who played Bardell in the last episode, he was also on Lost. Yeah. 
a lot of lost action going. And then there's a lot of agents kind of working around Pearson. One of them is named, but he's not really like, he doesn't do very much. He's just kind of called agent Takahashi. I just wanted to point him out because he's played by Hiro Kanagawa, who played Tanaka in the X-Files episode, season two, episode nine, Firewalker. Oh, yeah. So you may you may remember Tanaka. Um, he'll also appear in two more X-Files episodes in later seasons. So we will see him again. And he played Agent Suzuki in iZombie and Dr. Hirai in Star Trek Discovery, which I actually still need to watch. So I have not seen that. Okay. Yeah. He kind of plays a dullard in this episode, but pretty much everyone yeah. is a dullard in this episode. I mean, everyone so. who's working around Pearson is kind of useless. He's one of the only guys who gets a name and he's yeah. just in the scene. And I was like, that guy looks familiar. And then I was like, oh, it's Tanaka. Yeah. There's <laughs> someone else who appears later that I had to go through all the named people in the credits and look at their IMDb files to match faces. Out. Yeah. Because like you could not, because <laughs> no one is named. Like they're all named yeah. in the credits, but like no one in the episode is named except for Pearson, basically. And Takahashi, so. he gets called out. Like, oh, once. does he? Okay, I could. Yeah, remember. they call. They yeah. like, oh, he and Takahashi are going to go search over there or something. Yeah, and so he was like, useless. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm not going to. He doesn't. He doesn't do very much, but he just looked no. really familiar. So I was like, okay, that's that guy. <laughs> fair, fair. So then it's Thursday, 10:13 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. This episode is heavy on letting us know. Like it occurs basically over what, like. We'll see. It started, it started Wednesday and ends on a Saturday, I believe. Yeah. So two, yeah, a couple days. Yeah. So because it's Wednesday night and then goes into Saturday morning. Right. So, but now it's Thursday, ten thirteen a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and the members of a task force, including Frank and Peter, are examining the bomb site, which is completely dark for some reason. Uh, even though it's ten thirteen, I guess because they're deep inside the building. Uh, it blew up. It shouldn't be that dark. I don't know. But anyway. And Frank also, has they usually have floodlights if you're like investigating. Yeah, well, they do have some in some corners, but it's still super dark. Yeah, it is. So, and also, like, the whole front of the building should be like blown out. So, anyway, Frank has the same flashes that we saw previously from the man we assume is the bomber. And then he sees the people reacting to the blast. And Pearson tells Frank that he is crouched at the seat of the explosion. So, it was a bomb under a booth. And then a bomb squad member calls for Pearson, and they found remnants of the detonator. It had built-in redundancies. If the first system failed, there were two backups. And so Frank looks at it, and he says it's a briefcase bomb. There's like part of a latch from a briefcase in there. And he says the device was professional, but the placement was not. It could have been easily discovered. Peter's going to check and see if they can run down the briefcase by manufacturer, just in case. And the bomb squad guy is credited as Officer Mark Stanton. Again, one of the people who don't have a name in the episode, but has got a name in the credits. And he is played by Daryl Hayes, who previously Yay. played Webster in Shadows, Season 1, Episode 6 of The X-Files. He played Agent Morris in Season 2, Episode 1, Little Green Man. He's one of the ones who was disguised in the airport when they were tailing Scully. Yeah, he was good. <laughs> and then he was the Army Doctor in Season 3, Episode 7, The Walk. And this is his last X-Files related credit. His last IMDb credit actually is in 2007. So I think maybe hmm. he just like, I'm done with acting. Because I couldn't see anything maybe. that said like he passed away or anything. So Yeah. But, well, hopefully you're doing something you love, Daryl Hayes. Yeah. You're a deadpan dude. You'd be, you and deadpan medical examiner <laughs> could get married and have kids and have little deadpan children. <laughs> so, yep. Yeah. So outside, it's super sunny. And Frank sees flashes of the explosion from the viewpoint of the bomber. And he looks up because he realizes the dude was looking down at the place. And then meanwhile, Pearson is informed that Nightline is covering the bombing tonight and wants a representative who can discuss the bomber's psychology. So Pearson is like, Frank? Frank is like, I have a job. And he walks his <laughs> way towards the parking structure. Yeah, so. It's good. I really like that Frank <laughs> is like not interested in being on television in any way. He's just nope. like, nope, got a job already. See ya. Yep. Going to go do it. <laughs> Talk to gonna go media. do my job using my non-psychic psychic visions to solve <laughs> this so then we get another timestamp, and it's thursday 10 56 a.m eastern standard time and pearson follows frank into the parking structure and frank finds cigarette butts on the ground and pearson says ira because the cigarettes are a british brand and frank says no the bomber was in the pub he got them there. A political operator would have been far away from the bombing when it happened. This guy needed to watch it happen. So then Frank walks over to a trash can 
And inside is a wadded up queen's arm napkin. And he ejaculated in it. Yay. <laughs> well, the, is- the he is not Frank. <laughs> the he is the bomber. <laughs> yes, the, the bomber. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was clear. I thought that was very clear. Um, I apologize if that was not clear. Because <laughs> obviously Frank just found the napkin. Yeah. The script and- says it has ejaculate on it. Tori modified the script, so I had to clarify the pronoun. <laughs> I did add a pronoun. I added a pronoun and I made it a verb. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I can't read anymore. I've been reading all week. My eyes are done. And Frank says that the bomber was excited and the explosion gave him release. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Pearson is not happy because Pearson has gloves on. So Pearson is the one who pulled it out of the garbage. I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's gross. It's gross. Yeah. So, yeah not. Yeah, I had I had read a summary that mentioned in the first scene that when he's watching it that he's masturbating, and I was like, "Is he?" But then this scene was like, so I think they may just took that from because you can't really tell in the first scene. You can't tell, but like, yeah, he obviously probably was. Yeah, or at least afterwards, maybe. So yeah, yeah. So then it is eleven twenty-five a.m. Still Thursday, Eastern Standard Time, and we see lots of scanning equipment and a reel-to-reel player. That's replaying the first responder radio chatter from the bombing. And speaking of which, the bomber is <laughs> masturbating to the audio, reliving the experience with flashbacks as he listens. And we also see a new briefcase that has a bomb in it. So he's built a Uh-oh. new one. Yeah. In the war room, Pearson says it's five after one and time for their noon meeting, which I was like, you, you're late because <laughs> it's not noon. It's five after one. Mm-hmm. Anyway. The updates include the make of the briefcase from Peter. It was Egyptian. He thought it was Egyptian, and it was. That kind of latches on three brands and 10 models. So there are thousands of them that have been made, but they're checking retailers for recent purchases. And then someone else says the prints that they got from the payphone are being run through NCIC, CPIC, and Interpol. Pearson says they now know this guy has expert knowledge of electronics and explosives. An agent questions the this guy thing because they're still hung up on this whole international terrorism bullshit. They like latched mm-hmm. onto and won't give it up. And Pearson says they now believe the bomber's a lone individual that he had hung around to witness the explosion and that they expect him to be actively following their investigation. And our boy who's played Tanaka is like, you mean through the press? Because they're all dullards. They don't <laughs> know what they're doing. And Frank well, they have says, to explain it for the audience, but I guess, yeah. And Frank is like closer that they should expect scanners, bugs, RF receivers, cell phone cloners, everything. High tech shit. He doesn't say high tech shit. I say high tech shit, but you get the gist. The bomber uses them as part of his obsession and to insert himself into the investigation. Pearson announces that that is why they are changing the protocol. Communication is to be through hard lines only. No one is to use cell phones except for frank black oh why does he get to use a cell phone because i want to use my cell phone how to get into the bomber's head <laughs> i to know say the things that they need to say <laughs> yeah so totally. ncic has come up on previous x-files episodes it is the national crime information center it is the united states central database for tracking crime related information it is maintained by the criminal justice information services division CJIS of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, and is interlinked with federal, tribal, state, and local agencies and offices. Mm. So they're always running prints through NCIC. Mm-hmm. CPIC, which is CPIC, likely refers to the Canadian Police Information Center. It is the central police database in Canada and is maintained by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, RCMP, and it is interfaced with the NCIC, but not all information is shared. So Interpol is the International Crime Police Organization, a.k.a. ICPO, though Interpol is more commonly used. It is headquartered in Lyon, France, and is the world's largest international police organization with seven regional bureaus worldwide and a national central bureau in all 195 member states, which sounds confusing because there's seven regional bureaus, but then there's a national central bureau in every single country. So that just seems weird because it's called Central Bureau, but whatever. <laughs> French people, they don't know what they're doing. So we. 
I mean, I'm not going to agree with that. <laughs> and it's Lyon, Lyon, France. Okay. Yeah. They don't say France either. So <laughs> maybe they do. Say. I don't know. Anyway. Like Nanette Manoir. So then it's still Thursday, but now it's 5.32 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the bomber is listening to multiple bands of phone traffic. He's basically scanning through, trying to find interesting stuff and hear about the bombing. And He's then Frankie- find new material to beat off to. Probably. <laughs> Guess so. <laughs> and then Frank and Pearson come on and they're discussing a trace on some equipment possibly stolen from the military. So that gets his attention and he locks in the band and he traces the number and the cell location. So Pearson leaves a phone booth and he goes over to where Frank is sitting in a car. So he had just made the call from a phone booth, like really close to the car, because obviously they're making this call to root out the killer. And Frank says he's going to try a different cell location. And Pearson starts to walk away. But then Frank's phone rings. And when Frank picks up, there's no response. But there are six tones, which are the 522-666. And then the line disconnects. And Frank tells Pearson, contact. And then we see the bomber put down the phone. And he kind of gets a flash of himself and like twitches a little bit. Then it's commercial. Yeah. So I have a question for you. What was your take on that last bit? It's kind of, it's the same kind of flash that he usually gets when people are being exploded. Yeah. Yeah. But it's of him. Yeah. And so what was your, I mean, we're going to get an explanation for it later in the episode, but what was, what was your thought when you saw that, when you just saw it? You know, I I was kind of confused by it. I was wondering if maybe like he was thinking about blowing up Frank's car and that's why he had dialed the number. And I don't know. So I was, I wasn't really sure what was going on there. Okay. I was trying to think like, is he planning on like blowing himself up at one point? Like, yeah, to feel it kind of thing. Cause like, Cause like it's him. And then like, he kind of like, it's almost like, like he sees it. It's almost kind of like where Frank sees shit and he can't control it. Right. Right. And so it's almost like he's doing that too, but this time he saw himself. And uh-huh. so he was like, cause when he comes back in real time, he's kind of twitches, but then he like gets like, like resolved look on his face. Like, well, if that's what it is, that's what it is. And so I was like, is he going to blow himself up? What's going on? So, yeah, I thought that might be part of the plan because it's at this point, we don't really know anything about his motivations. We're kind of like, we don't know what he's doing. So we'll find out. But that was my take at first. So turns out I'm wrong. So, but yeah, (laughs) going to be wrong again later, too. (sighs) Painful episode. So we come back from commercial and it's Thursday at 8.16 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we get a bunch of techno exposition from one Agent Sullivan about how they plan to trace the bomber through Frank's phone. And so they, you know, they go through all the details of it or whatever. Basically, they need to keep him on the line long enough so they can lock in his signal. And then they can use signal strength and cell location to narrow the signal with each call. But there is a 10 second real time delay. So they need to really... You know, lock it down. So now they just have to wait. So Frank goes over and he sits down. And Peter comes over and was like, how long have you been up? And Frank says, 37 hours. Can't sleep on a plane. And then the phone rings. So he jumps up. Everyone gets their stuff ready. Frank answers the phone. And Sullivan starts the timer. And then we hear the series of tones. And then we see the bomber. And he's got a watch timer that is running the same countdown as Sullivan. So we Uh-oh. know what's going on. Yeah. Frank asks who is on the line. And the bomber says, a star. And Frank is like, fuck you. He's like, hangs up on him. He doesn't say fuck so you. Good. But yeah, he's no, like, but he does hang up. up. Yeah. He's like, no. Nope. Put Mm-mm. up with your bullshit. So everyone is super confused. <laughs> and then the phone rings again. And the procedure starts to begin. You know, darting the timer stuff. And then the caller is like, that was rude. And Frank is like, who the hell is this? This time he actually does curse. And they go back and forth for a while. And the bomber gives like some specs to prove who he is. He's like super irritating and boring. I'm not going to go into all the stuff he says. Anyway, just the important stuff. And then Frank asks what they should call him. And the caller says, I've already given you my name. And Frank is like, kaboom, like the little guy from the Flintstones. And the caller (laughs) hangs up before the timer runs out. 
Yeah, I thought Frank was really good here because like <laughs> hanging up on him, he clearly knows that this guy is going to be annoyed by that and mm-hmm. call back. So it's not like he's going to lose him. And then he tries to keep him on the phone by like kind of talking down to him a little like, uh-huh. who the hell are you? And like, OK, you're really the bomber. Prove it. And uh-huh. then he makes a little like, you know, kaboom for like the guy on the Flintstones kind of joke. So he's definitely trying to like irritate him to keep him on, which I thought was good. Yeah. And Peter's like, oh, we lost the signal. And then Sullivan is like, that was kazoo, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that was good, too. So, yeah. <laughs> You watch the Flintstones, you know about the kazoo. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so Pearson asks Frank if he believes the tone was appropriate. And Frank mm-hmm. says the bomber will call back. He enjoys the sport. And then Peter's like, he seems like he knew what we were doing. He made sure he kept it under time. But then Sullivan smiles and says, we did get a frequency sector grid, though. So they got something. They can narrow it down. And then mm-hmm. Pearson is like, unleash the hounds. So, <laughs> drama queen. Anyway, at least he didn't say like the Kraken, so that was good. <laughs> this is the second part where I'm going to be wrong, so spoiler, um, because they narrow it down, right? They got a, they got a, they've got a grid, and so I one I kind of overestimated what the frequency sector grid meant, but then I was also like, if this next scene does not involve cops like showing up to the location and then getting blown up because it was a trap, I'm going to be super disappointed. But then I was kind of thinking, but I was like, wait a minute, if they aren't blown up. Maybe I should be impressed by not doing the obvious thing. So it was like a quandary, but then it didn't happen. And so I was just wrong. And so anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So then still Thursday, only it's 9.35 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And they head out in Vance to the general vicinity to be ready to basically triangulate the location if he calls back and they can mm-hmm. get a better signal. And Peter and a crew are in one van and Frank and Sullivan are in another yeah, Sullivan is kind of giving me off some Pendrel vibes a little bit. Sadly, though, this character doesn't appear again, which kind of makes sense. He's FBI agent. He's in Washington, D.C. Frank is basically in Seattle, travels all around, so couldn't really yeah. show too much. He was played by Robert Lewis. He was in three episodes of The X-Files. He was in season one, episode 11, Eve, and in season two, episode five, Dwayne Barry, both as officer. And he was in season three, episode two, Paperclip, as ER Doctor. However, okay. this is not listed on the X-Files and Millennium Wiki kind of stuff that does all the X-Files related stuff. But according to IMDb, he will get the hat trick by appearing in one episode of The Lone Gunman, season one, episode 11. So he'll be in all three series. And that episode oh, nice. of The Lion Game, he'll play Jeff Strode, which also guest stars Mitch Pileggi as Walter Skinner in that same episode. So Yay! Well, that'll be a fun one. Yeah, and then his last IMDb credit is 2003 so he doesn't have a lot of credits mainly it's like you know one and twos of different series so he's mm-hmm. probably not one of those guys who's like i did it for a while and then i moved on because it wasn't happening you know yeah so. yeah he's good in this episode but yes my yeah. just doesn't work out yeah he's out. he's kind of that youthful guy he's got the glasses so he's, he's kind of giving me that pendrel vibe like he could have been like yeah no he does like he has the, the same he energy. like the tech guy kind of thing or something but uh-huh he's another guy that i had to look up all the images of him to find out what his name was because again he's not named in the episode Mm-mm. so that's always the fun thing of writing summaries you're like okay that dude and then you have to figure out who the hell that dude is yeah <laughs> i don't know if you guys know this all white guys look alike to me so i have a really hard time <laughs> looking at their photos on imdb and being like okay no this is this person. well sometimes too the only good photos you get are like from like 20 years later and so you're like yeah and so then or, it's they, ha- like, or wait, they have facial hair or they don't have facial hair and you're and like, you're like mm-hmm. i think this is the guy but i don't know yeah. but you don't want to call everyone like the officer or the you know whatever you want to have because it's just easier yeah, so, yeah, and, that's, and for, for this that's guy a struggle yeah for robert lewis the best photo is i think a little bit later in his career his nose is shaped different and like noses kind of change shape as you age. Yeah. But thankfully he does have like a little mole on his cheek. Oh, and so I was able okay. to, I was able to lock onto that and be like, yep, that's him. So, yeah. <laughs> the stuff we do to try yeah. and make these episodes sound coherent. So we're not just yeah. saying this guy all yeah. the time. Well, actually, and you're like, the Wait, notes, he was listed as the tech guy in the whole thing. And then I was looking for other stuff. And I saw like, dude, everybody is named in here. Who is he? And I tracked it down and I went through and changed the tech guy to <laughs> Sullivan, 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 Sullivan. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, then it is no longer Thursday. It is now Friday at 2.15 a.m. Unless you're in Seattle. Time. Yeah, so it's still Thursday in Seattle at this point. 
So Catherine, his wife, is still still on Thursday. That's how time zones work. And the phone rings and Frank answers and we get a quick succession of 522-666 and then a disconnect. Yeah, because usually and- it's like beep, 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 beep. This time it's like beep, 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 beep and then boom, they hang up. Yeah. So. And Pearson, who's also in the van with Frank and Sullivan, sighs. And he's just like, every 15 minutes for the last three hours straight. So Frank asks if they can confirm the calls are coming from the same location, even if they can't really trace it. And Sullivan says the calls are just too short to confirm anything because he's just basically calling, dialing real quick and then hanging up. So it's not, mm. not enough time to lock on to anything. And Frank says that that's intentional. He's trying to burn them out. He's planning something big for today. Yeah, he's just fucking with them. Yeah. And then it's 4.24 a.m., so it hasn't been that long, a couple hours. And the bomber is looking at a high-rise office building from the parking lot, and he's, like, standing there and smoking and looking at the building, which is ominous. Mm-hmm. And in the van, Frank's phone rings. And Frank is like, oh, it's 5.17. He's breaking the pattern. So he picks up, but it's Catherine. <gasps> so he's like, she starts to talk and say something, and he's like, I'll call you back, and hangs up really kind of abruptly. Mm-hmm. And then he grabs the phone in the van, and he dials. And she picks up, and he's like, I'm sorry. You just, you can't call me on my cell phone right now. It's being monitored. And she's like, monitored? What's going on? And then she starts to tell him Jordan something, and then his cell phone rings. Jordan was having a nightmare about him, because yeah. we see Jordan's in bed with her, sleeping. Yeah. So, yeah. Psychic. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, Jordan is Jordan has inherited her father's second gift. I'm sorry, Chris Carter, you wrote it this way. I'm just pointing it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, he kind of like as she's talking, his cell phone rings, so he sets the phone down, and then he answers the cell phone, and he gets the tones, and then the bomber asks, "Getting any sleep, Frank? Shouldn't let it keep you from calling Catherine, because clearly he like heard that quick exchange yeah. on the cell phone." Yeah. So they get a signal lock and begin driving to triangulate. And the bomber goes on and on about how he's an artist who works in glass and fire and blood, which no, you don't dude. You just blow shit up. Stop it. And they realize he's driving and they're trying to lock him down. And Catherine is able to hear Frank's side of the conversation because he didn't actually hang up. He just set the phone down. Mm -hmm. And as he's talking to the bomber, they learned that a bomb is set to go off at 9 a.m. today. Yeah. That's not a lot of time. Yeah, and Frank does a lot of the, like, you know, when he's talking to those kind of people. So he's, like, getting in the head. So she gets to hear him, like, saying all the things, like, doing that, like, I'm in your head kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So she's not happy Doesn't seem that. to love it. No. So the caller starts to hang up, but Frank throws how the caller really feels back at him, and he's kind of compelled to listen. Unfortunately, he still manages to disconnect before they get a solid lock. So he was close. He almost kept him on for time, but it yeah. didn't quite work. Yeah. I jumped the gun. That's the part that Catherine was listening to. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, she, she listens to the whole thing. Yeah. And Frank calls the bomber back because now that they have his number, they can like call him. But he doesn't answer. He just sits in his vehicle and he's got his pants open and he's got a paper towel. And you can you can put those pieces together. Yeah, they do <laughs> like, a half they do a reasonable job of trying to portray someone who is pleasuring themselves repeatedly without actually showing the person. Doing yeah. That. They don't so, show very much. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's, you can guess what he's, they doing. use our own dirty minds against us. <laughs> to be fair. I didn't really realize he was doing any of that. So <laughs> clearly it didn't <laughs> click with me, um, but that's just cause I wasn't really paying attention. Like I was more like paying attention to like, frank and what was going on there and then he would come on the screen and i was like okay and i saw that he like you see his phone beeping and i was more watching like the the lights on the phone beeping in his car than paying attention to what he was doing but that's my that's my fault not i'm not sad about it though i don't feel like i missed out (laughs) on anything and then frank realizes that the other phone was on the whole time because he didn't actually hang it up so he picks it up but there's just a dial tone because after he stopped talking to the bomber Catherine hung up so she did hear everything But then she hung up so he doesn't know what she heard, if anything. And then their van drives right past the bomber's car, which is parked in an alley. And Pearson says, somewhere out there is a bomb. And Frank's like, we have about three hours to find it. Yep. And then it's commercial. Mm -hmm. 
And the bomber sees the van go by. I don't know if we're supposed to assume he knows that was them or not. I don't know either. I would, I mean, it's not like these vans are very like surreptitious. You could yeah. probably guess, but he he might not know for sure. Yeah, I'm gonna guess he probably did, but yeah. Yeah. Never explicitly said. So we come back from a commercial. It's Friday at 6.37 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we see a map being rolled out. And using the tracking that they did get, they were able to, like, reverse engineer it. And they've narrowed down the possible location of the attack to two square blocks. So they can figure out, like, well, he was going this way. And so based on the fact that he had to leave the location, if we go backwards, that kind of thing, right? So four square blocks, boom. They split up into red team and blue team because they're nerds. So. I don't know the origin of the whole red team, blue team thing. I think it's just a video game thing, but I could be wrong. Maybe it comes from something else. I don't know. I feel like those are just always the colors. Like on MasterChef, it's always like the red team versus the yeah, blue team. Yeah, well, I know it's a, it's a big video know. game reference, but then I don't know if it's a big video game reference because it was from something else. And so it got put onto video games and then people used it. I don't know. I don't know where the Yeah, it's pretty goes. common now. Yeah. Yeah. So Frank says they have two and a half hours left. So then they all head off to their job and Frank is dead tired. And Peter's like, man, you don't look good. And Frank is like, I'll sleep after we find this guy. And then he's like, narrow in location, all the manpower, it's not enough. I could save so many lives that I could just figure out what this guy wants. And Peter's like, dude, we all heard him. It's like sexual transference. He gets off on the thrill. And Frank is like, no thrill is too fleeting so mm. oh yeah something else might be going on so then it's friday and it's 8 27 a.m eastern standard time getting close bomb posts go off at nine o'clock so inside the target building because we know what building's being attacked we see the staff of thompson associates and they're already working at 8 27 so it sucks to be them anyway an employee comes in complaining about the traffic so he's late, apparently, even though it's only 8.27 in the morning. So they start early. <laughs> Maybe they start at 8. Maybe they do Maybe. like an 8 to 5 know. and they take an yeah. hour lunch. Maybe. Yeah. So the receptionist tells him there was a bomb scare. And then he complains about any nut with a phone can shut down the city. And then he goes back to his desk. I will note, we talked about this in the last episode, how we had some coded lesbian couple in the last episode that was really nice. This guy is definitely coded to be gay and kind of not in a in a very maybe unflattering stereotypical way i would say so they get points for last episode they lose points for this episode i could kind of say that i didn't get gay i just got like one of those cranky people you work with who's always complaining but yeah i, mean, I don't know he which can be that, me sometimes he was super doing that inflection kind of thing <laughs> oh okay you know, yeah i of, didn't yeah didn't really click with me but again that doesn't mean it's not there i just didn't yeah. i was more noticing that he was complaining about everything and then the bomb was under his desk and i was like oh maybe yeah don't as like tori says he goes back to his desk <laughs> and we notice there's a briefcase under it that he doesn't see <laughs> yeah it's kind of shoved in the corner he has one of those like you know rounded desks that are not rounded it's like a you know a square desk that has two sides and so he has his yeah. chair like and he L, puts his like bag L down shaped in a L shaped, yeah. yeah and the briefcase is like on the other side where he's not like putting his feet or looking so yeah yeah so then we see the bomber is dressed in a maintenance uniform and he's futzing with the thermostat so he's actually in the building with them and he Ooh. looks at his watch and then he sees the flashes of people in the office reacting to the blast. And he's among them. So he sees people like, ah, ah. And then he's also like, except he's not like streaming. He's just got his eyes closed, like waiting for the blast to hit. So mm, no, this could be it. And then the real world, he kind of flinches. Like he's maybe trying to make sure he's prepared for it. So outside, Frank is looking around as the other search for the bomb. And then he sees a parking structure. And so he runs to the parking structure. Because last time, parking structure, right? So he looks in, he goes around, running around inside, and he finds some cigarette butts on the ground. And then he looks up, and he sees that building just there. So he calls the team, and he gives them the address, and he looks at his watch. And it's quarter to nine. And he starts to run. And then as he's running, there's an explosion in the parking garage. And then also one in the building, too. So like simultaneous explosions. And Frank is knocked down. And his phone skids across the pavement and then it rings and he gets up and answers it. And the caller is like, just warming up third floor, he hangs up. 
inside the building. We see people are fleeing down stairwells and Frank runs up and he's like, Gary, but get out, keep going, keep going. There might be another bomb. And then he's inside Thompson Associates and he sees the briefcase, but then he's getting ready to go get it. But then someone tackles him. Ugh. And just as they tackle him, another explosion occurs. <laughs> and through the smoke, Frank sees someone who says, it's all right. I'll get you out of here alive. And then Frank passes out and we can see that it's the bomber. <gasps> what? Yep. Weird. So not only is he hanging out in the building as it's being bombed, he's now rescuing people from bombs. I know what he's doing. I mean, I, I guess he kind of doing. tried to quote unquote rescue the server too in the uh-huh. first part. Yeah. yeah. So then it's still Friday, but now it's 2.22 p.m. So it's the afternoon, Eastern Standard Time. And Frank is in a hospital bed and he sees flashes of people in an explosion intercut with Jordan and Catherine. (gasps) And Catherine calls his name and he opens his eyes. And Catherine is there beside his bed. So she is in D.C. I guess she made the trip. Yeah. So that phone call <laughs> spurred her into action, I guess. I don't well, know. she was like, we had such a bad connection over the phone. I decided to make the connection in person. Yeah. So. so they talk and she mentions the guy who pulled him out of the building and how he's like all over the news now. He's a hero. And she turns on the TV and she flips a few channels and then finds one that's showing the guy and they're interviewing him. And his name is Raymond Dees. And like the uh, little cryon under him says, Raymond Dees, hero. And Frank looks at the TV and he's like, kaboom. Yep. He's got this guy's number. It's commercial. And Jordan is apparently staying with some friends in Seattle. Yeah. He's like, where's Jordan? He's like, oh, she's with April for the weekend or whatever. So, yeah. yeah. So this guy is super stupid. Like they have his voice on recording. He knows they're recording his voice. They have his DNA because he's jerking off like and his cigarettes and yeah, and his cigarettes. They have him on video from the previous bombing, and now he's like doing interviews about how he like, oh, I just want to tell that killer that real heroes exist and you shouldn't kill people and whatever. Like, are you stupid? Like, do you want to be famous for being stupid? What's your deal? I don't understand. Well, I, I, mean, I think Catherine. That's what mentions- he's trying to do, but. Yeah, and Catherine mentions that he saved people at both bombings, but like you don't think that's going to be suspicious. They're not going to go, whoa, this guy was at both bomb scenes. How did that happen? That's well, apparently Frank and us are the only people who think that's suspicious. Yeah. So. I mean, DC is not a huge city, but that's pretty unlikely that you're going to be at both. Yeah, because then it's Friday and it's 11.32 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And Frank is scanning through the video of the Queen's arm bombing. And he stops it where D's is like, call for an EMT. And Pearson is like, there is no way we can bring him in just for being a hero twice, especially after Centennial Park. And Frank is like, it's him. He thought witnessing the bomb would be enough, but he was wrong. So then he needed to be a part of it. There were two explosions in the building, but neither were near lethal intensity of the Queen's arms. He's a maintenance worker in that building. He would know where to place the bombs and himself as well as have the technical skill to ensure they were only as strong as necessary to create the effect he wanted. Mm. Pearson was like, the bomb still killed five people. Did this guy kill 18 people? Because 13 were killed in the Queen's Iron Building. Just so he could be on TV? And Frank says the killing isn't the motive. It's just a byproduct of his obsession. And then Peter ran a background check on these, and it turns out he served in the army in Egypt. And he was an explosive specialist. Hmm. So Centennial Park, for those of you who don't know. So in 1996, the Summer Olympics were in Atlanta, Georgia uh-huh. at the Centennial Olympic Park. And there was a pipe bomb there. So we're not going to mention any names because the innocent don't need to be called out and the guilty do not need to be publicized. So the bombing occurred on July 27, 1996 during the Summer Olympics. The blast directly killed one person and injured 111 other people. Another person later died of a heart attack. It was the first of four bombings committed by the bomber. A security guard had discovered the bomb before the detonation and began clearing spectators out of the park, hence the low death toll. So he actually saved lives. Yes. After the bombing, The guard was initially investigated as a suspect by the Federal Bureau of Investigation and news media aggressively focused on him as the presumed culprit 
even though he turned out to be innocent. Uh, yeah, I remember that. And it was very like, I mean, yeah. if you know anything about true crime, you know that as soon as someone's a suspect, there are people going ape shit to prove how like guilty they are and terrible and digging up mud on them. It was very much one of the first instances where people were like using the internet to like dig up shit on him and go, hey, blah, blah, blah. He's guilty, mm-hmm. whatever. It was awful. Yeah. In October of 1996, the FBI officially declared the guard was no longer a person of interest. There were three more bombings in 1997. The actual bomber was identified by the FBI as a suspect. In 2003, he was actually arrested by a rookie cop, not the FBI, while on patrol checking out a possible burglary. In 2005, he agreed to plead guilty to avoid a potential death sentence and was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. So that is the reference of why they can't bring in this guy. Yeah, but that was one. The security guard was there for one bombing. This guy was yeah. at two. That's that's excessive. That's someone you at least want to talk to. Yeah. But like anyway, said, only Frank, you and I think it's suspicious <laughs> that he's at both locations. And yeah, I mean, it, it's not impossible so. that this guy just hangs out at this pub and works in this building. It's just, you know, the odds are not good. You want to at least check that out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, maybe do a background check on him and find out he was in the army and as an explosive specialist and yeah, like for was example. in Egypt. Yeah, so <laughs> might have access to Egyptian-made briefcases. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. just maybe. Just maybe. <laughs> yeah, the FBI in this episode is like the cops in Scooby-Doo. They're like not good at their job at they're, all. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, no wonder they had to call in Frank and Peter because they're not doing anything, so... So then it's Saturday at 1.13 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And a SWAT team... Still Friday in Seattle. (laughs) Still Friday in Seattle. Although Catherine's now here, so it is It's all your fault. You You started it. You started it. (laughs) Time zones work. It's probably a different day in Australia, but let's not focus on that. So a SWAT team bursts through the door into a dark apartment, and they start swarming the rooms. But Dee's is gone. Although they can tell he left in a hurry. All his equipment is still on. Frank says he was listening to them and knew that they were coming. So he hits play on the reel-to-reel player and it's radio traffic giving Dee's address. So like basically he heard his own address on there, realized they were heading his way and booked it. Peter notes that with what's on the table, it's possible he made another bomb before fleeing. Frank kind of slumps on the table and Pearson's like, you should still be in the hospital. And Peter's like, you should go home. And Frank and Peter look at each other and Peter nods. And Frank agrees he's going to go home. He's been through a lot. He's going to head home, you know. Yeah. I assume when Peter says he needs to go, he should go home, that he doesn't mean home home. Like Seattle, he just means like. No, I think he just means like whatever hotel he's staying at, get some sleep or whatever. Yeah. So I thought this was maybe going to be the trap that I was thinking the last one was going to be until I saw that Frank and Peter were also there. Uh-huh. But then when Frank leaves, I was like, oh, maybe this is it. But then Peter stays and I'm like, no. Then I was like, well, maybe Peter could just get hurt. Yeah. It, turn, uh, it turns out nothing like that. But I was I'm, I was still waiting for that. Like, it's a trap. But I think I'm giving the bomber too much credit is what I'm doing. See, I so. thought the bomber was going to like have a bomb in like Frank's hotel room or something. So oh. well, he would have like he knows Frank's name, but I don't think he knows who he is. Yeah, point. I don't know. He so, yeah. He well, I guess at up. this point maybe he would because of the whole saving his life and so he yeah. might. So someone drops Frank off at his car and as he's preparing to leave his phone rings. So he answers and immediately hears the tones. And the equipment in these apartment plays the audio because he had his equipment dialed into Frank's number mm-hmm. so they can hear what's going on. And so Pearson hears that and is like, oh, my God. And he orders his men to the parking lot where Frank is. So they all run out to like where he is. And we see Dee's is in a car nearby and he's got this detonator remote. And 
<laughs> Nick's notes are like, uh, long story short, because Dee's is boring and interesting. Basically, they have an exchange. They go back and forth. And Dee's like, well, I know when this is going to end. And, you know, basically lets Frank know that he has a bomb and a detonator because he kind of you can see the light on his dashboard and he's going to like blow Frank up, basically. And before he can hit the detonator, the snipers who were sent out into the parking lot shoot Dee's in the head. And so the detonator falls and luckily does not detonate the bomb. So I'm glad it was well made. <laughs> if it was even made at all. Yeah. I mean, we learn later both cars were searched and there was no trace of any bomb in either car. So Frank did not have a bomb in his vehicle. And Frank tells him that D's got what he wanted. He orchestrated all of it right down to his own death. And now people will remember his name. And then as we close on the scene, we see a reporter live with the story of how D's had been proclaimed a hero. But with his death, the motive for his bombing will never be known. And we see a video of Dee's face fill the screen. So now he's going to be on all the news stations, right? Mm-hmm. Which I guess is what he wanted. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. And I kind of thought they were going to flip it because Frank was going to be like, and he's going to get what he wants. And then they would actually maybe like change the story and say it was a false name or something and like take his name away. Don't give him that benefit. But that'd be cool. Nope. Yeah. Anyway, but then they would be like, someone would figure it out and be like, cover up, cover up, because they have his face or anything. So who knows? Whatever. Yeah, media sucks. Cops suck. Media sucks. Everybody sucks. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess you're not going to have a good motive for blowing up strangers. So that's fine. But it just, I don't know. I didn't really love the ending for this episode. I don't know what a better ending would have been. Yeah. It was fine. <laughs> Not as good as Morgan and Wong's last episode. Yeah. The last last episode was Dead Letters. And this episode, I don't know if it's because of Morgan and Wong's connection to it, but it gets compared to Dead Letters a lot. I think it's because we have like the lone guy going off doing his thing kind of action. I mean, they all kind of doing that a little bit. Well, not last episode, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't like this episode very much. It was fine, but like if I actually had to go back and check to see if Morgan and Wong wrote Pusher because this episode reminds me of Pusher. We're like oh. the story is interesting, but the guy is just boring as shit and annoying. And it's mm-hmm. not that one is actually written by Vince Gilligan. Yeah. So but I just got that same like I just like it's yeah, just the guy was not like you just wanted he was like from like it's a little bit like in Dead Letters, where the guy that Frank is working with is immediately unlikable, and you don't like him. For, you know, the, the cop he's working with, you don't like him at all. This guy was the same way, but in a different way. It was like he was just like a whiny little bitch, and you just wanted to be like, shut the fuck up and just go away because you're just a little <laughs> worthless person, you know? Yeah. But it's that same kind of thing. It's that same kind of vibe that we got in Pusher, where it's like little big man, right? Just a uh-huh. little. Guy be big and it's a, it's that same thing which is why i wanted to go back and see but that was a vince gilligan episode yeah so, but it's that total same vibe of like little guy wants to be a big man so yeah exactly don't like that kind of character because they're irritating yeah well they definitely are yeah so. i mean they're not not supposed to be you're supposed to find them irritating but yeah also that mustache like grow a real mustache I know. Or the mustache shit. was so irritating <laughs> Like, it made him damn. look really young, which was weird. Like, like, no one wants to see like a teenager. pathetic <laughs> pubic hair mustache. Just shave yeah. it. Or, yeah. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> I liked this episode more than The Judge. And I, I thought The Judge was more annoying than this guy. So maybe that's why. I thought this guy was irritating. But I just thought that this, like, as a TV episode, it was more compelling. I was more fascinated by like the the case and the way that they solved it i mean the fbi is useless but like i mean just pacing wise and the way the episode went like i just enjoyed this one more and that's not really about the qual i don't know it's just how the episode read to me like i just enjoyed watching it more than i enjoyed watching the judge so that's kind of how robert sherman in his book he kind of says the same thing because I read his book for both of these episodes uh-huh. and he kind of does the same way. He did not, he went, he did not like the judge at all. He hated him. He thought he was a comic book villain with the hood and everything, which yeah. I, kind of, 
I kind of like the comic booky parts about it. And he talks about like, okay. oh, he's delusional with his little, like, you know, like yeah. uh, that little, that little scene where they're in the interrogation room. And like, he didn't like the judge at all. And like, even his summary, you could just tell he hated the episode. This little yeah. summary paragraph before he goes into like the critique of it. But he kind of feels the same way. He actually thought this character was really interesting and engaging. And I'm like, I don't know about that, but. See, yeah. and I think Sheeran and I are vibing. We're on the same wavelength or something. <laughs> I should get his one because I feel the same way. Like the judge was really pretentious and annoying. And I just found his whole, like I was saying last episode, like it's not that you're expected to like him, but I found his whole thing like just really, st- it was just really overdone. I'm like, oh yeah, you're correcting mistakes the justice system made by murder. Great. Good for you. And like this guy's motives aren't any better. <laughs> They're kind of worse but like and th- this guy didn't rub me the wrong way as much mostly because like I, yeah he was gross and annoying but like the actual episode i found way more fascinating and i liked the whole like number kaboom and he's like really smart in some ways but then like he's just obviously really bad <laughs> like he's not good yeah. at what he's doing i know maybe it's that same thing or maybe it's just like that same button that pusher hit with me because a lot of people seem to like pusher and think it's a yeah. fantastic episode and i and liked like, pusher i think i gave it like a seven no, or something a, i didn't uh, hate it yeah but yeah so, and, maybe it's and this one thing. i didn't hate this one either like i, I thought it was interesting again having i watched both of them within you know i watched one last night i watched one this morning we're recording both on the same day guys and i just enjoyed watching this one a lot more i thought it was more interesting i wasn't like i don't know so maybe it was partially my own headspace and and that's that's where i'm kind of uh, so i'm gonna i'm gonna break protocol i'm gonna be like pearson and i'm actually gonna give my rating first and i'm gonna say i'm giving this the same rating that i gave the last episode a six but i'm doing it for different reasons because last episode i found I, I'm I'm totally opposite on you of where I found the judge interesting because in a way because of that comic book kind of style like that over mm-hmm. the top almost it's not really camp but it's kind of that like over the topness right and then like Bardell especially at the end was just like doesn't matter what he said it matters what he did he was a little mm-hmm. bitch that kind of thing it's like that was really interesting just his reaction and how he reacted when Frank is there and just like yep that's how it is I guess I'm going to prison like the characters were interesting to me in that one. The story was kind of like, eh. whereas this one, like the story is interesting, but the character is like, get the fuck out. I don't want to see you ever. Like, just go away. Yeah. I mean, I liked Pearson. And again, like I, I recognized him as a guy who usually plays a villain or at least, I mean, he, Bernard wasn't really a, a villain on Lost, but like, I don't remember Bernard being a great guy. I don't remember anyone. On well, Lost I'm not talking about Pearson. I was just saying I'm doing, I'm doing a Pearson because I'm breaking protocol. No, no, I know. But, but you said the characters oh, okay. and like, I actually really liked Pearson this episode. Uh, I why did he even take up him as a character? I thought the rest of the FBI was pretty incompetent. Well, yeah, but that's, that's, my, I mean, um, I'm a, I'm a I like Sullivan. Dude. I'm made to expect that to be the case. Yeah. So. And I thought Sullivan was fun. I liked the tracing the phone call stuff. I don't know. Like none of it was super realistic. It's not like I'm saying this is the best episode ever or like it's the, you know, paragon of bombing on procedurals and it's so good. It's not great. Like I'm going to give it a six too, which is one more than I gave the judge. I just enjoyed it more, which there's no like, you know, there's no like, I don't have a lot of reasoning behind that just in terms of my personal enjoyment. This one was more fun to watch. So it gets an extra point. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate supporting characters. And I, uh, Pearson was Pearson. I don't know. Like, I did like Sullivan. Like I said, I thought he gave me. Yeah, Sullivan he, was good. He gave me Pendrel vibes. But I tend to not, like, I will I will like supporting characters. But I will not give an episode credit for supporting characters. Well, let's see, I will. But I'm all about characters. Whereas, character like, anyway. whereas like, the judge or Bardell. I don't think of them as supporting characters. No, they're like main characters. This guy just, this one just had one main character as far as the antagonist, right? Just D's. So that's when I was saying like the characters, I was just referring to the main ones, not the the side characters. Last episode really didn't have any really side characters because you just had had Bletcher. I mean, I guess Giebelhouse and Teeple, but they're cops. So yeah, they're a little more competent than the FBI in this one. They're wrong a lot, but they are at least a little more competent the FBI in this one are just like mm-hmm. yeah it's at their Scooby-Doo level so yeah but okay well I guess we killed two birds with one stone by me breaking protocol going rogue <laughs> that's okay my rating yeah so. so I'm gonna give it a six again just enjoyed it more would you know 
was relieved that it wasn't as unenjoyable as the previous episode. The previous episode wasn't like the worst either. So I don't know. Okay. Yeah. And it might be a lot of my personal headspace too. So I don't know. <laughs> maybe I was more in the mood for it this morning. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe I'm just more influenced by like, if I don't like you, then it, it just tends yeah. to Yeah. Yeah. So, although I did not like, you know, the cop dude in Dead Letters, I can't remember. I liked him so little. I'm not, I don't remember his name. I don't remember but his name either, but I did like that episode a lot. I gave it an eight, even though mm-hmm. but that, that was one of those things where like obviously I mean, obviously you're not supposed to like this guy either. Right, but no. Like, but like the villain needs to be interesting. And to me, yeah. this guy is not interesting. He had those long-winded speeches on the phone that were just like, whatever. God, join a forum or something. Get See, it that's there. how I felt about the judge with all his like righteous, like, oh, I'm gonna write this is how our justice system works and our justice system is above whatever. Like I felt that way about that guy. I don't know. <laughs> to me, see, to me that to me that fit the character where this is just some. I mean, I I, I just just I don't know. Yeah, Sweet yeah. He's thing. just some loser dude who builds bombs and wants to murder people. Yeah. I guess gets off on it literally. Yeah. So yes. Yep. Cool. All right. Six and six. One more. Yeah. Mark of the Beast. <laughs> One more, and it would be Oom. <laughs> it would be Oom. Oom. <laughs> We just got ohm. Ohm. <laughs> or mo. Or no. We got no. Or we got on. We could keep doing this, but we're not going to. So. Oh we're, my gosh. We're gonna go the kids today no. even know Stop. that there were letters correlated to numbers on phones. Is that a thing kids even know? Like if you were born after know. 2001, is that something I mean, you're I even guess aware so. of? You still see occasional ads. Let me see if I pulled the number up on my phone. What does it say? Mine doesn't have them. Oh, no, mine does. Mine does. So I guess, yeah, I guess that's not a lost thing. I said, just don't pay attention. Yeah, <laughs> I do know it, it does. I have seen phones where the numbers and the letters are slightly different, though. And I can't remember yeah. if that was because it was like a different country or if it was something else. But I have seen ones where the numbers and the letters didn't correspond to what I was used to. So, but anyway. All right. Well, that was five two two six six six. Kaboom! Kaboom! Thanks for supporting us on Patreon. We appreciate it. We hope you're enjoying Millennium Mondays as much as we are. Yeah. Or are not, depending on the episode. <laughs> I feel more high energy this episode. The first episode, I feel like I was off a little bit yesterday. So, or I guess I should say yesterday because it was it was last week, which is actually just a couple hours ago for you guys. <laughs> But, uh, well, for me, it was a couple hours ago. For you guys, it was last week. I feel like I was a little off on that one, so I apologize. Yeah, I might be off just all, I don't know. I've had a couple of long yeah. weeks at work. I know Nick's had a well, couple we t- long weeks. We took, so we we're took just... last week off because I was messed up. Yeah. So nothing, Which... like, I wasn't, I didn't have COVID or anything. I was just not in a good headspace last week. Yeah. So. Well, and I had worked, my, my this week was busy for me at work, but uh, the week before was just like, it was a chaotic mess where like everything that could go wrong went wrong. And so like, I just like was also like, even I was willing to record and I probably could have gotten through it, but it's probably because we didn't. Cause I was just like, my brain oh, was see? fried, fried. Yeah, we were, we were, we, so, were, we were doing some psychic energy. And just I guess we were on the same level there. <laughs> we were yeah. just like, you know what? Nope. <laughs> Let's not. So, I mean, I was less fried on Sunday, but I did end up actually working Sunday a little bit. So, you know, anyway, <laughs> but anyway, sometimes it happens, you know, but we're here for you. We're here. And we hope you're Boom. enjoying this. We're enjoying talking about them, even Plus when we don't really love the episode. So we hope that you're enjoying listening to us talking about them, even when we don't really love the episodes. And if you want to tell us what you think about the episodes, please hit us up on Twitter or Instagram because I would love to hear. Or use thoughts. you can message us or use you the can. community page in Patreon. There's a section yes. you can have like oh, a yeah. forum. You can talk amongst yourselves. You can talk to us. Whatever. If you talk to us, you'll probably mostly be talking to me. Social media, you'll be talking to Tori for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I do chime in with snide comments periodically. So, yep. I wouldn't be snide if you guys were talking to me on Patreon. So, but I'm also <laughs> cool if you guys not because then I don't do anything. So, and I'm all about doing as little as possible. So, sweet. We can just yeah. exist like this. You know, you guys listen to the episodes, we put them out. We don't need to engage if we don't want to. It's fine. I'm down with that. Yeah. So. 
I just would love because I don't know a lot of people who've watched the Millennium. I know like on Tumblr, there's a big set of people who are rewatching the X-Files or not rewatching who are watching the X-Files for the first time or who, who have been fans for a really long time. So I hear more about like what people think about the X-Files, whereas with Millennium, I don't know anybody who's watched it. I'm sure lots of people have. It doesn't get talked about that much. So I would love to hear other people's thoughts. Yeah, I honestly don't know from what I've read. I don't think like those Venn diagrams crossed too much, honestly. Yeah, which I think was well, one of the issues with Millennium. Probably because, um, like, so. I feel like for me, like people watch the X Files for the aliens, for the conspiracy, for Mulder and Scully's dynamic. Like, none of that stuff is really in Millennium. So, if you were watching it for any of those reasons, Millennium might not have been your bag. Like I said, when I was fourteen, fifteen, two out of three ain't out, bad. I wasn't into this at all. So now I am. Now it's definitely more my thing. But like as a teenager, when I was a huge X-Files fan, I did not watch Millennium. So I don't know. I don't know if there's any crossover at all or people now are watching it because they're like, oh, didn't Chris Carter have another show? I should check that out. So I don't know. Yeah, he had a couple actually. <laughs> yeah, he so did. He had, a, he had a one hit wonder for Amazon that we might watch at one point. We'll see. Yeah. That's a promise. I say one hit wonder. It was a one not hit wonder, which is why it was a one off. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, enough of that. We got to go. Yeah. Thanks for supporting us. Love it. Have a great day. Happy Monday. Bye. Bye. My lovely singing voice. (laughs) I want to rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in collaboration with black cat and orange tuxedo studios. Episode production, design, and editing is by Lazy and Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz, and the truth is what we make of it by the agrarians. Our premium feed is where you can find all of our X Files adjacent bonus episodes covering television and films that are, you guessed it, X Files adjacent. If you like these bonus episodes, tell a friend about our Patreon page. We'd love to have them tell join them. us. Tell them. Tell yeah, them, tell them. We would love it. Be like, this This is an awesome Patreon. You should join it. There's a lot of stuff. Lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. And more coming. Yeah, we have a lot of stuff coming, So be too. sure to join us next Millennium Monday. And also, you know, for In Search of Wednesdays. But anyway, next Millennium Monday, Episode 6, Kingdom Come. And we'll try to figure out if the the truth truth is still out there. The truth is what we make of it. It's on the door, right? The it's on the door. Whiteboard's yeah. on the door, yeah. Yeah. So they go through a door, and on the back of the door, there's a whiteboard that reads, Dead-Eye Dicks Only. It's actually on the front of the door. Well, it's on the back if you're inside the room. I thought it was on the front. I thought it was that they go through it. It says that right there. Yeah. Well, but I mean, if you're inside the room, it's on the other side, right? So. Well, that would be on the front of the door. <laughs> okay. Just say it's on the door. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think we might be saying the same thing. We I mean, are. We are. Okay. It's just because okay. when they're inside the room, it's on the other side, right? But when they go in. Which is on the front of the, the door when you go in. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I guess I'm thinking of them being already in the room anyway. <laughs>
my brain is tired. It's been a long couple of weeks. Okay. I don't know anything anymore. <laughs> uh, I also just wanted the first when I saw they were wearing the little V patches, I'm like, oh, two battles have little yellow sheets that say pass. I know, right? <laughs> Frank just uses his non-psychic magical <laughs> psychic ability to let people out of it. 